Good morning, good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered, that, uh, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thank you. Thank you. So we are at the table, and... A few thoughts just before that. <clears throat> We're doing a little... We're doing a little series just about fear. Not getting into great reasons of fear, but fearful situations in Scripture. And this is one, an angel uh, appearing. And I guess I wanted to do that off the back of Jude, which we looked at um, uh, for a couple of months. But just as we are in this season where there seems to be a lot of fear kicking about, there seems to be a lot of... I, I rarely watch the news now. Um, I, I limit myself because I see just the fear that it's instilling. And I'm not sticking my head in the sand. I, I kind of I know roughly what's happening, but I don't need to know it six or seven or ten times a day, which was the sort of habit I was getting into. And it was doing me no favours. So... That was one of the reasons why I just chose to look at a few wee passages. Uh, and last week, uh, Ian spoke about the promise and fear around about that. And here I just looking at Mary. And with the question of what are your struggles? It is good to be mindful of your struggles as you come, as I invite you to take the bread and the wine. And it'll be your choice whether you do that or not. But it's good to come and bring your full self, not to park things at the door, to bring your whole life into worship. God knows anyway. <laughs> and there's, there's no point pretending for others. So if this is a time of tears or a time of silence or whatever it may be, so be it. You wouldn't be the first or the last person to cry in this place. Um, and as I was writing this, I was thinking of the word inadequacy. And it's linked to, to Mary, who is favoured. Uh, and Scripture says that, the angel says that. But as I came to it, my 
difficulty I was bringing was inadequacy. Last night I spoke at Magnitude, which is a youth event in Scotland, and a whole bunch of teenagers there. And when I was first asked, I said, but I'm an old duffer. What do you want me speaking to teenagers for? But I tell you, I, I went there with trembling, but I felt very strongly that the Lord said to me in my preparation, go hard on them, go deep. And so I did. I, I did good classic Bible study. And for 30 minutes, these hundreds of teenagers were in silence listening because they were hungry for God's word. It wasn't just a little anecdotal talks here, there and everywhere. I gave them scripture and dived into history and it was exciting. But I went there feeling so inadequate and I left so encouraged by the Lord and just what he did and what I heard. Do you feel ill-qualified? Even to be sitting here, do you feel ill-qualified? You don't even qualify to sit here. You, you come as you are to worship, whether it be the first time in years or whatever it may be. So do you feel too weak or too ill-qualified? Or do you suffer from not feeling good enough? There is things that you could have done better and you feel a failure. Bring all of that to worship as we gather uh, around the Lord's table. My hope today is that you would understand or you would appreciate feelings of inadequacy are okay. I think that's when God can really use us. When we're not doing things in our own strength, when we're not pretending, when we take the mask off and lay it down, when we say, this is who I am and this is what the Lord has done. So, Andrew, did you get the, the B slide? So can you put the first one up? I'm going to ask you, put that off. Don't need that yet. Sorry, Mother, we'll get to you in a minute. I'll keep Mother Teresa up there. Andrew, tell a lie. Keep her up there. Mother Teresa said this, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who's sending a love letter to the world. I quite like that. quite like that. And there are many biblical characters. Larry, come, please see. Come, please. Come to a seat. Down here. And the first one I'd like to just briefly touch on is Moses, the one who felt too afraid. We know for centuries that God's people were in slavery to Egypt. Actually, that's where their identity was formed, in slavery. They became a people. They cried out in their prayers, and God heard them, and God answered them. And as Moses was a shepherd at the time in the wilderness... Uh, he had fled Egypt. We know that story. or I'm sure the majority of us know that story. And he's in the desert and he comes across a bush that is in fire but not being consumed. And like anyone, he was interested in this and he approached this burning bush. And God spoke to him from the bush and said this. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come to rescue them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And you'll find all of this in Exodus 3 and 4 for later. What did Moses do? Moses 
argued with God. And then that arguing with God revealed his insecurities. Who am I that I should go? And God responded, I will be with you and promise to bring you to worship on this mountain. Here's more insecurity. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And we know what God did. God in great power with signs and wonders gave proof that Moses was God's man. But there was still more insecurity. Moses says, or he says, I'm not eloquent. I'm not good at speech. I am slow of speech and tongue. And God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you and teach you what to say. And you would think at this point, Moses has done enough arguing with God. And at this point, Moses would be convinced a burning bush, a voice from the burning bush, sandals off, all of that, that he was well equipped or anointed by God to go and do it. But Moses still says, please send someone else. Still, and his place didn't believe he was good enough. He was strong enough. He was eloquent enough. God sent him his Aaron to be his, his, his mouthpiece. God was gracious and patient and all of that. And we know that experience. Maybe not as grand or as, well, bigger story maybe as Moses' story. But we know this. Many of us have had this experience one way or another where God has been gracious, gracious, gracious. When we have said, I'm no good enough, I'm rubbish, who am I? And God is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Moses obeyed God. God delivered his people. And then there was the one who felt too weak. And that was Gideon. The Israelites were oppressed again, this time by the Midianites. And God sent an angel to Gideon. And when the angel appeared to Gideon, he says this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And the Lord has abandoned us. But the angel wasn't finished with him and persisted and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Again, Gideon just demonstrated this feeling of weakness. And, and he says, how can I save Israel? Then he started getting into some facts and figures. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon felt inadequate. He felt too weak for the task. And a number of occasions he asked God for a sign. How many of us have sensed God saying, do this, do this, and we've put down fleece after fleece after fleece after fleece? Quite a number of us. Some have never responded to that answered fleece, if that's the right way of putting it. God is still gracious. God is still patient. And I believe God would still put that task before you. Gideon obeyed, God delivered his people. And then there was the one who felt too young, uh, Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah answered, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. How many people had spoken that over his life, I wonder? You're too young. And that went into a depression maybe or a again another feeling of inadequacy where all of you know if someone says you can't do something you're too young for this you're not equipped for it what does that do to a person and maybe this is what had happened to Jeremiah I, I don't know I don't know how to speak I'm too young he definitely believed in God but he doubted that God could use him do you doubt that God can use you The Lord encouraged him by saying, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. God touched Jeremiah's mouth. God would give him the right words at the right time. And for 40 years, Jeremiah served God and, and warned his people of an upcoming Babylonian attack. Spent time in prison and all of that, even in that prison, that's where God's will was for him at that point. This man who felt too young, who did not have the right words, but was chosen by God for such a task. And finally, we come to Mary, where scripture says the one who was highly favoured. Mary may have felt too young like Jeremiah, 13 to 16 years of age. She may have felt weak like Gideon. She wasn't just young. She was a woman. And she was in some little backwater town in the middle of nowhere. Mary may have felt too afraid like Moses. Pregnant. What would that do to someone who has not been near a man but suddenly finds an announcement that she is pregnant. What fear would that induce in someone? But Mary was highly favoured. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And Luke one twenty nine tells us that Mary was in her heart troubled and full of wonder. At the same time, troubled but yet wonder, excited, amazement. What does this all mean? Some believe that once you hear the word of God, once you, you've sensed what God is, is saying to you, once you're convinced that God has told you to do something or God is alive, that, that everything from that moment onward is full of joy. Perhaps that is the case, but I, I was, I'm mindful of C.S. Lewis's experience, C.S. Lewis, Narnia and all that sort of stuff. Lots and lots of books, great Christian uh, writer, um, he, he, he says that, uh, one, that one consequence of God's saving grace was that he became the most reluctant convert in England. He was a great mind. He was an atheist. But there came a point where he just knew that God was who he was. 
and he came kicking and screaming to faith because he knew the consequences of what it was a life of um, trouble and wonder as was Mary's and I paraphrased this from John Piper that was C.S. Lewis you must, well, give me back to C.S. Lewis and we'll just read a wee bit more of what he says. You must picture me alone in that room, Magdala, Magdalene, sorry, night after night feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, so he's trying to keep himself busy, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, that's God, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. He knew the consequences. That which I greatly feared had at once come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> he says it so much better than me. <laughs> it's his experience after all. Joy, reluctance, whatever. Here's a paraphrase um, that I, I've lifted from John Piper, grace doesn't always come to us in attractive colors. Grace can perplex. Grace can frighten. The grace of healing may have the face of a bag of chemo and a tube running into one of your veins. Or it may be a surgeon's knife. The grace of patience may have the face of loneliness and suffering. The grace of humility may have the face of defeat. The grace of pastoring may have the face of stress. Oh, how we need to learn from Mary not to lash out at God for the frightening forms of grace. Mary is mute with fear and the maelstrom of all the emotions. Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel speaks her name full of concern for her. The God who does not break a bruised reed, but he's a personal God and one touched by our feelings and one so keen in intimacy, not just in the knowledge, but to know as a husband knows his wife, as a wife knows her husband, the intimacy of knowing God. Therefore, who is, God, who is Mary dealing with? Well, she's dealing with the infinite Lord of hosts before whom the cherubim hide their eyes and they cry, holy, holy, holy. And yet, this God, full of grace, full of compassion, is concerned with the troubled heart of Mary of Nazareth. So finding favor with God doesn't mean that you'll never have times of fear and wonder. Remember that fearful experience of Job who was favored in God's sight and yet one horrendous calamity followed him time after time after time. The favor of God doesn't mean we'll never wonder at what God's doing but it does mean that God is always deeply involved and emotionally engaged with us. He knows, Emmanuel, God is with us. Do not be afraid. 
though you're scared stiff, you found favor with God. You found favor with the uncreated Holy One. He's given you his favor. He has purpose for you. Even though you are in a time of trauma, the, the, the suffering, um, the doubt, the frustration, the anger, the emotion, the maelstrom of emotion. For those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who have bowed the knee, who acknowledge that he is the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of the world, and are filled with the Holy Spirit, that very act that God tabernacles with us, God is not distant. He's here now. We are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That in itself demonstrates, it should demonstrate to us his favor, his delight. Who will go for me? Do we say, send me, God? Send me in my situation. Send me with all my, my baggage or my bag of tricks. Do not be afraid. Though you're scared stiff, you have found favor with God. Gabriel goes on to reveal God's purpose in Mary's life. The Holy Spirit will come in you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One be born will be called the Son of God. And it ends with Mary's response, May your word to me be fulfilled. No other caveats. May your word to me be fulfilled, whatever that may be, Lord. It's a brave prayer. God received the glory for the great acts of Moses and Gideon. He was the one who spoke through Jeremiah and he called Mary by name and salvation came to the earth. God showed his glory through each one and they found their strength and their identity in him. We also can have that if we trust in him. Wherever we are, whatever is before us. And so we remember that love came down at Christmas and set his face towards Calvary and prayed, not my will be done, but yours. <clears throat> For the joy that was set before him and shared his life with people just like me and you, and we call them the 12 disciples, and with another larger group around about him, many, many of them women. And he walked with them, and he talked with them, and he cried with them, and he laughed with them. And he showed grace upon grace upon grace. They rejected him. They denied him. They walked away from him. They went back to what was instinctive to them. You know, like Simon chopping the ear off of the, the servant. All the things that Jesus had taught Simon at that point um, went out the window. He went back to what he knew best. And yet he was reinstated and reinstated and reinstated. So we come to this table not because we must, but because we may. 
Nothing we have done that gives us the right to come and to take a little piece of bread and a little thimble of juice representing the body of Jesus broken on the cross and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Bring your whole life. But do so soberly in that old-fashioned way of using that word. Do so with reflection. Don't stop because you think you've got too much baggage. Don't stop because you're too angry with God. Don't stop because of feelings of being inadequate, too weak, too young. While we were still sinners, meaning still rebellious, God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son Jesus. You can never be too good for any of this. You don't need to pull your socks up, but come and with much trembling and fear, take the bread. Give thanks. Recognize Jesus for who he is and take the bread. And the wine, knowing that somehow, by God's plan, not an accident, his blood was shed in Calvary. He who was without sin became sin. For us, 